Welcome to another edition of the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. I am your host, Randy Zelia from BackSportsPage.com. And thank you all for your support and tuning in. I know we've been on a little bit of a hiatus lately, but we are back and we are back better than ever with a great guest. That's right. A great guest indeed. Mr. Monday Night, the whole effing show, Rob Van Dam. Uh, this is obviously not the first big guest we've had. We've had some great guests like the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, Charlie Haas, uh, the Good Brothers, Diamond Dallas Page, just to name a few. We've had them all here on the Cup of Wrestling Podcast. Check out our link tree to links for our social media and all of our podcast platforms, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Music. They're all on there. But again, this week's a big episode. Rob Van Dam, the whole effing show is here. And listen, he's going to be telling stories to us about his time in ECW, WCW, WWE, TNA, uh, his new YouTube channel that, that discusses his new business ventures. It's all here in this interview. So check it out right now. Uh, we also have a very big announcement for after the interview. Stay tuned for that here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. We are going to be back. I'll give down the whole schedule, the whole layout after the interview. So stay tuned for that. But right now, we got Mr. Monday Night, Rob Van Dam. Now we're back here, Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. I am with WWE Hall of Famer, the one and only, the whole effing show, Mr. Monday Night. I could go down all the nicknames if you really want me to, um, you know, and, and then I can pretty much travel around the country and just introduce you that way since I'll have all the nicknames now. But the, the real, the real, his real name, Rob Van Dam, he is with us right now. Rob, thanks for giving us a few minutes, brother. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I sent a, a little message out to some of the people who, you know, some of our audience members, and they, they came back with a couple of questions. And some of them were, were, were the usual, you know, are you going to go to AEW? Or did you go back to Impact? Did you go back to WWE? With all these different things. But one of the questions I saw, and, and I got to just, it, it's really intriguing. I love the, the stories of the journey. Do you remember when you decided you were going to break into professional wrestling, what your mindset was at the time. And, and just remember your first few times working in the ring and with training. Like, do you remember, do you remember that? Oh, of course I do. Of course I do. Um, I was a, a fan, a very passionate fan had been for maybe like two years or so, not a real long time, but I was, uh, I was, passionate wrapped into it and somebody told me that i should be a professional wrestler when i grow up i should lift weights and uh and she would help get me in this person that was on the inside um that told me that and so that that's the first time i ever thought of it you know i i i didn't I don't know what I saw, but i didn't think that that was a possible path for me just like a lot of my peers or, you know, kids that went to Penfield High School, nobody thinks that, that that's your, your path. You know, it's, it's not going to happen. But anyway, yeah, so uh, it was much later because I was probably 14 or so. So it was much later when I actually uh, was in the ring, probably 16, 17, uh, 18, before I actually got trained by a professional, which was the original Sheik. But I got into the ring first through kickboxing, um, which opened me up to martial arts in a way that um, I wasn't necessarily uh, looking for, but it, it became part of my part of my path, and I appreciate it. But I was wrestling in a kickboxing ring uh, before I was actually trained. Me and my friends would choreograph shit and and do like what we saw on TV, and we could 
we could do some moves, you know, but I'm sure that I would criticize the hell out of it watching, watching back now. Well, when did you start with kickboxing? Um, I, I don't think we were driving yet. So probably 15, but 15 or 16, somewhere, somewhere around there. I mean, I've told this story a lot, but there was a guy in town, uh, he had a ring in his backyard and so everybody knew. So I went and knocked on his door, me and my friends and told him, you know, Hey, we're going to be wrestlers. When we grow up, we wrestle in the living room every Monday night on the cushions. Then we throw them on the floor and move the furniture around. And this guy, said could you do that in front of people we were like yes that's our dream <laughs> and uh we had to pay dues back then I, you know he had shows we would uh, haul the ring we would uh once we we're driving and we would um set the ring up set the chairs up wrestle the opening show uh and then sometimes have a kickboxing match um sometimes even an impromptu one when somebody from the crowd wanted to get in and i was so hungry wanting to learn that I was volunteering to get as much action as I could. So um, that's all uh, a couple of years before I actually started my career. No, I, I took a couple of years of kickboxing, so I understand the discipline of it and you have to be very disciplined for it. Um, did you find it to be helpful the years of your kickboxing while you were training for professional wrestling? Oh, of course. Uh, of course it did. I mean, it gave me a character. It gave me uh like um, uh, a fighting perspective, you know, that was like, that was me. I mean, I would do those moves. And so, and I was, you know, um, turned on, uh, I had an affinity towards watching Chop Saki theater and watching people run up trees and do backflips and splits and stuff like that. So, so incorporating all of that into my wrestling, you know, was just uh, really organic. What I found out about kickboxing was that I was good at it. Um, and I was knocking people out. Um, and so it, it reached a point where I thought that maybe I would follow that up if wrestling didn't work out for me. I was training, uh, when I was actually training with the original Sheik, I was still kickboxing with uh, Kit Likens um, and doing both. And I thought that, uh, you know, Sheik was very onerous, like a lot of old school wrestling promoters are. They put their time into you and put their name on you. They don't want you getting trained by someone else who doesn't know what they're talking about and you getting the, the credit for it. You know what I mean? And so uh, I, I thought he would be upset if he found out that I was, uh, that I was doing the, uh, the fighting um, and the couple tough man contests um, and the wrestling took off for me. How, how, what was the chic like as a teacher? Was he like no BS balls to the wall? This is how it has to be. This is what's going to be expected of you. Uh, and also the first time you sort of went against the, the ropes and, and those, those first couple bumps, what was that like? Um, yeah, you know, I, I, you get you get the big bruises underneath your, your arm when you start running the ropes. People don't realize that. You go home with a headache uh, every, every night. But back then, this was 89. I mean, this was still when you would get stretched, beat up uh abused and they would test you to find out if you have what it takes to to come back to to work out number two if you deserve to be in the ring and they test you for physical coordination and stuff nowadays you know guys will guys will just take your money um to to train you even if you don't have any uh any potential but that's that's really the call of the person that this training but it used to be such a secret society that you really had to 
work your way in. And, um, and so it was still during those times. And when the Sheik trained me uh, and, uh, and Sabu would be in the ring with me and there was like two other guys, sometimes, sometimes three, there was never a bigger class than that really. Um, he just trained us the mindset really. And I think that's what made the difference. You know, we were so committed and still am when I'm in the ring, I'm not in there to dance. I'm in there to fight. And that's what my mind is on the whole time, uh, trying to be aware of everything that's going on. And, and, and I see other wrestlers. In fact, I'd say the standard for, for most of the guys, um, they seem to just be like waiting, trying to be in position for the next move. And, and to me, maybe it's my trained eye, but man, that kills me. It takes so much away from me. The Sheik never smartened us up. He never said, this is how you land and don't get hurt. He never said, this is how you take care of a guy. It was always about, um, get him, get him, you know, and anytime somebody was on the ground with their back, I better be jumping on them trying to pin because I am trying to win. That was the whole thing of the match. So never one time was there a, uh, here's how you hit a guy and not break his jaw. There, there was none of that with the sheep. And, you know, and on that note too, do you remember when you had your first, I guess, you know, the first show, the first match, your first, I guess, independent show or first opportunity to be in the ring? Do you remember much about like that? Because when I talk to a lot of different wrestlers, a lot of, a lot of guys try to forget it. <laughs> you know, there are a lot of guys who are just like, I don't want to even talk about my first match, but do you, what, what memories do you have of it? They, uh, they were smart about it. They took care of me, uh, protected me as far as uh, that goes, because I had a match uh, that was a um, it was some kind of a kickboxing match. Me and my me and my uh, my best friend who trained with me and did everything together. Dango, we wrestled each other, and I don't know what they called it. Some kind of a kickboxing exhibition, and we had it where we would go a couple rounds doing what we knew, and then get mad. The gloves come off. We start rolling on the ground. Big run in, and that was it. You know, so there wasn't really a chance to to show too much weakness and kind of we, we worked our way into the card by doing that, which was which was smart. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. And then obviously, once you get a couple of reps under your belt, as far as a couple of matches under your belt, I bet you the confidence came in. I'm going to fast forward a little bit, too, because I remember being 12, 13 years old, Rob, and I'm, I'm aging myself out a little bit, but I remember watching. Uh, a, a young performer who I happen to be on a call with right now versus uh, Scotty Flamingo on oh, yeah. WCW. And I remember watching that match live. Um, what was it like getting that opportunity with WCW? What was it like at that point sort of behind the scenes? And what did you take away from that opportunity? Well, it was uh, a great, exciting time in my career, you know, but I was so young and, and green, you know, there was not a lot of, confidence but but you tend to listen to the, the people that you want to listen to when you get feedback you know the people that tell you that uh you're going to be a star and this and that you know i did i did have that talk in my ear but what i remember is like being so green everybody wanted to put their own their own take their own spin on me and so it was like frustrating getting conflicting information you know I remember Rip Rogers there at WCW saying, uh, you do all those kicks and all those moves and everything, that doesn't mean anything. You know, you just save it till the end, just do one kick, and then it means something. And I was like, oh, my God. But 
that's that's my shit. Like I do things different, you know. I throw a kick here instead of a punch here, and that's what I do. And um, and I was really, you know, disappointed. Some people would say, you know, do this, and no, don't listen to him. You know, do more of this. So I was glad I had the sheik. I could call the sheik back then and say, man, I don't know what to do. This guy says this. And Sheik would always say, fuck them, fuck them all. Don't listen to any of them. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. He said, you just listen to me. And so I had that advantage, uh, which helped me out a lot because that's part of, I think, everybody's career probably when you start uh, trying to put everything together. You know, who do you listen to? Uh, who do you ignore? And, you know, I kind of say, well, look at who you want to be like. Look at who you're listening to. You know, I was yeah. in a gym one time at the Y Center and I asked this guy about lifting weights. He was jacked and I and he was telling me to, to eat healthy. And I was like, really? Because Tim was saying just eat three Whoppers instead of one and, you know, to, to, to put on weight. And it's more about and he said, well, who do you want to look like, Tim or me? And he walked off offended. <laughs> I was like, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, first off, I'm more impressed that Rip Rogers didn't drop nine F-bombs with that sentence that you just told me. <laughs> um, and, and second, too, you know, like you said, you had the chic. And, you know, that, that time, obviously, you had no idea that Scotty Flamingo was eventually going to turn into Raven. And you guys were going to share the, you know, as much time as you guys did in, in uh, ECW. And obviously with ECW, there's been so many stories. There's been books written about it and everybody has their perspectives of what, uh, what did and what didn't happen. What was it like for you in the original ECW? There's always these different perspectives that are spoken about, but you were I, at one point, uh, from the, I guess from the beginning, it was the heart and soul of the, the organization, you know, uh, Paul, always had nothing but glamoring things to say about you and didn't want to lose you. Uh, uh, so how did that make you feel? And at, at any point, did you feel like maybe you were a little underutilized or there was more things you wanted to accomplish there? Describe your time in ECW. So I started in January 96 and they were around maybe since 93 or something. So I wasn't one of the actual originals, um, but I was there for the rise. I saw it going from a couple times a month to uh, three or four times a week and crowds going from 200 to 500 to 1,000, 3,000. Um, and, and during that time, it was really rewarding for me because I, I felt like my own efforts were helping to pay off. I could see the immediate uh, gratification of it, you know, which is hard to do in the industry, you know, like, if you're in WWE and you think you're the one selling tickets, then you you got a pretty big ego, you know, because people are going to see WWE, and, and they do get that ego. People that are on top, you know, and they think that that uh, they're the ones that, that that sold the whole house, you know. And um, with, with ECW, though, I don't think I was underutilized. Paul really helped showcase me in the right way, and and when the time came, he did make an important uh, make it known how important my position was there. And that was when I, I had the offer to leave to go to WCW, which a lot of the other wrestlers were doing. And, uh, and then Paul said, look, is there any way I can talk you into staying? And then that's when, that's when really I kind of became um, more of the head of the, of the company. And, um, and it was so awesome because I felt like everyone had the freedom we weren't politically saying, hey, you guys hold back so that I can be the best match on the card. It wasn't like that, you know. Um, 
people were chanting RVD from the beginning of the show till the main event, waiting to see me. So there was a lot of pressure that I put on myself even to go out there and perform and make sure everyone got their money's worth. And, and feeling like I did that was just awesome. It was the most fun I've had in my whole career. And, and it's funny too, you talk about that and, and obviously you hear the excitement in your voice when you do talk about it. Can you talk about not, everyone likes to talk about the ending, but that rise, that, that rise, 1996, 97, your first get on pay-per-view. Um, man, like it was, it was the thing. You guys were the, the talk of the, of the wrestling world. You guys were appearing on Monday Night Raw. Uh, at that time, it, it was, you know, the Monday Night Wars at that time and WWE was using ECW at certain points. What was that like appearing on Monday Night Raw as an ECW performer? I know there was a famous story right before Barely Legal 97 that a bunch of WCW wrestlers showed up behind the scenes. Can you set the, set the record straight on that story? And also, like I said, the collaboration and the rise of ECW during the 96-97 period. You know, I thought that we really had a superior product prospectively from people that were like-minded like myself that didn't like the traditional cheesy wrestling shoved down their throat you know this the things that we prided ourselves on uh nobody asked us if if we were really hitting each other because we bust each other open you know <laughs> uh it was really if it was adult entertainment I thought it was really cool I thought it had that car crash appeal where it's hard to turn away when you flip through the channels and you see a ring set on fire you know with the wrestlers in it and um, so I really thought man if enough people get a chance to see this enough enough of them will stick to it you know to where we'll really get a good following and hopefully we won't have to go anywhere else that's what I wanted I didn't want to have to go somewhere else. I considered it selling out when I did eventually go to WWE, but there was no other options in, in 2001, especially if I wanted to remain in the United States and be a TV wrestler. So, um, you know, during that time, I, I really felt like we had a lot of uh, um, a lot of good substance to be bragging about and to be promoting out there. I was really, really proud of the style. And I still feel like that's my best showcasing. That's where I am best uh, um, in, an, in an exposition uh, because uh, not only because of a created offense, because of a, a very durable, I can take a lot of abuse. That's part of what's entertaining. Um, and that's part of what I enjoyed was every match that I was out there, I would what? not just the fans, but even other wrestlers in the back watching to think they wouldn't, they wouldn't survive that match without getting hurt. And I enjoyed putting that much into it. It was really, really rewarding for me. And, you know, it's funny you say that too. You know, I think back and I was to try to pick your favorite Rob Van Dam matches from ECW. It's hard to pick. Obviously the ones from Jerry, with Jerry Lynn were, were classic. Um, the stuff he did with Sabu were, was always, was always great as well. Um, and people don't realize a lot of this, the great stars for the wrestling industry came from ECW. You know, you were you between yourself and, you know, Tommy Dreamer's had a lasting effect on the wrestling business. 
Taz has has you know is making his mark with ECW behind the scenes, not AW uh, behind the scenes, right now. Um, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was there for a little bit of time. Cactus Jack, all those guys were came from ECW. Um, you you mentioned that you know you 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 made the choice to go to WWE in two thousand one. Um, you know you 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 got thrown right in there, man. The great matches with Jeff Hardy. Um, you know, with uh, you had a great match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. What are your memories from that first run, you know, with the Alliance? I, I know everyone has their opinion on the invasion on how that whole thing was presented, but you were a key guy and you were, you were the breakout star from that group. What were your thoughts around that time frame uh, about your run at that point being the breakout star? Cause you worked with Undertaker right after also. Yeah. Well, you know, I went through uh, cycles of being motivated and unmotivated, you know, first off just going there I thought that I was surrendering my creative will and that they were going to maybe call me something, I don't know, um, Robbled McDonald and put me as a clown. And who knows? You know what I mean? Like, whatever, the things that I'd seen them do, and I was like, they're going to erase my past and, and put me, you know. It's, it, it, so I was really pleasantly surprised uh, when I saw Tommy Dreamer there and he told me we're representing ECW. So I was super excited to come in that way, actually add depth to my career instead of burying it. And then, uh, and so that was cool. I thought the whole Alliance uh, was a great uh, idea, you know, having WCW and ECW versus uh, WWE. It was, it was cool. Um, you know, sometimes all the politics and, and monotony of um, egos would, would get me down. And then I got the hardcore title. So my motivation is up, you know, now I can have, you know, extreme rules matches again every night and, and then it would go down. And when, when I talked to Vince about bringing ECW back as a pay-per-view and we were doing that, you know, then, then of course my motivation was way up and then I hurt my legs so I couldn't wrestle. So then I'm back down again, bringing it back as a third brand and representing as a champion. That was, I was so excited. I felt like I could have wrestled, you know, another, whatever, another 20 years or, or so just uh, um, under the false pretenses of, of what the world looked like from my perspective at that time. It wasn't too long after to where the ECW was going to be diluted um, by all the talent from SmackDown and Raw coming in and making it confusing who's ECW, who's not, making uh, it taking away the extreme roles. That was that was death right there. You know, that's what made ECW was different. ECW means anything goes. JR said that all the time. And then they changed it to ECW means one extreme rules match per night, which they already, you know, had yeah. stuff to beat against that. So, um, you know, again, my motivation was down. I was looking at this in my contract and I knew uh, when it was up, I was going to need a break at that point, regardless of what, what happened with me getting pulled over. Well, you know, it's funny, the ECW one night stand show that to me was the last great ECW, you know, I don't yeah. want to say moment like that was, that was one of those great things. And you were so passionate about your, your promo and, you know, you with Sabu, the lights going off and you coming back in and with, with Rhino there, it was, it was something special. And, you know, if like everyone keeps on saying that was your blueprint, that was your idea and it, it make, everyone make sure that you get the credit for it. And then you said, you like, you just said, you took a break after it was over. Um, 
after after the, the pullover incident, you 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 finished out your contract, and you took some time away, and you know you made some appearances in Impact, made a couple more runs with WWE. You know, your time in WWE, you know, obviously you're in the Hall of Fame. Let's 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 go there first. Hall of Fame. What was that like for you to get that phone call uh, about a year and a half ago, two years ago, going into the Hall of Fame? shows that they really appreciate what you know who you are what you brought to the table and being different and in this business being different is important um how did that make you feel knowing you got that phone call for the hall of fame and and being inducted in how did that make you feel well it's an honor to know that i'm going to be uh remembered on that prestigious level with my uh, fellow hall of famers um, it felt also um, a bit, you know, vin- vindicating as, as far as, uh, you know, like they, they're uh, welcoming me back in the family after uh, after uh, seeming to, you know, not really want me around that much, uh, which they still don't. But, uh, <laughs> uh, but I mean, it, there was a little bit of vindication, but it, it didn't matter that much. It's kind of like, you know, like... Uh, it, like in high school, you know, thinking like, I'm going to show everybody someday. And then by the time I show them, you know, it's like, do I really want to rub it in their faces? Not anymore. Now I've grown past that, you know, feels kind of the same way as far as that goes with the vindication with, uh, with, uh, especially with what I'm labeled with, you know, everybody thinks that, uh, some, some fans think that I got fired and, and that I was caught, um, smoking pot by the cops or, or whatever and whatever it doesn't all the facts might not matter but uh, what does matter is the world is changing so much that none of that is going to matter anymore you know it was it was possession which isn't even you know illegal anymore in most uh well yeah it was it, it was, it was a different time it was such a it was such a different time and it, and for me, you know, like I'm, I'm really passionate about, um, about, uh, advocating, you know, for, yeah. uh, you know, civil liberties, free rights, definitely ending marijuana prohibition. So, so, uh, you know, for me, it was a bit of a trade-off, you know, like I put a lot of energy into the movement, uh, that had a lot of value in it to me as well. Well, and then, you know, I, I'm going to, Talk about the last thing with wrestling. I want to bring up with you is, is, is impact just because you got to be there for both regimes, the Dixie Carter regime and the regime that's currently there now. Can you talk about the major differences between the two and in in your opinion and um, which run did you sort of get a little bit more out of? Well, that's a good question. Um, I don't, think there was a huge difference in, in in the way the show was run i mean obviously I, when i came in with dixie she was uh trying to get more well-known wrestlers in there to to give her company the rub and so there was ex wwe guys that she was bringing in and of course the younger guys that have been faithful the whole time they're gonna feel slighted and feel like uh they're underused if the attention's put on the the more well-known guys uh but then that's business you know so there's a there's a little bit of that um whereas uh, last time i was there it seemed more like like they think that their guys are 
big enough stars to to get behind and to, and to, and to put over fairly strong. So so they're seeing more uh, of an effort there. Um, I, when Dixie was there, there was a there was more communication. Um, you know, she would have meetings and and stuff. Um, which I guess I've seen uh, Scott do a couple of meetings too. I don't know. I, I don't really know what I was doing there either time. Either okay. time, it's, you know, kind of seen sometimes, especially the last run seemed uh, almost almost pointless at times to me. Um, but, you know, um, it was uh, still enjoyable as far as a job goes. Yeah. Oh, and besides wrestling, you're quite the entrepreneur. You have a lot of different projects. You've done a lot of different things. What are let's let's catch people up. What are some of the different projects that you're involved with right now? Well, um, I'm always uh, pushing RVD CBD. This is something that uh, I started. Um, I don't know, it's been almost three years ago now, and helping so many people is so uh, rewarding in, in in that sense. All the feedback that I get from it. Um, I have studied the plant, you know, CBD comes from uh, a, a cannabis plant. Uh, it doesn't get you high. So it's got the medicine. You can get results that you that you want and you can avoid results that, that you don't want, depending on what those are. Um, CBD and THC are just two out of over 100 different elements in the plant, by the way. It's always been illegal to study the plant since uh well, since 1947, uh, Mayor LaGuardia did a test on marijuana and said, hey, if I'm going to prohibit this in New York City, let me test all this bullshit that Harry Anslinger and the FBN is saying. So he tested it and he said, that's not even true. Like, it's not dangerous. It's not toxic. Kids aren't aren't uh, using it at an alarming rate. Boom, boom, boom. It shouldn't be a crime. So, uh, so dude. Yeah. <laughs> you guys you know who that is? <laughs> it's Rob Van Dam. I'm gonna, hey, to, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna have to edit this out. Okay, guys, gotta go back upstairs. Oh. <laughs> Hi. Hey, dude. How are that's, you? That's what up, friendly. dude? <laughs> How's your career been? Awesome. Very good, man. So it's been illegal to actually study the cannabis plant ever since '47, and now that it's getting quasi legal in states, we're looking at it, and and people are getting familiar with CBD because it is friendly, and uh, they're going to be hearing. I mean, we got CBG, we got CBM, we got a hundred different cannabinoids, and you can manipulate uh, the ingredients, uh, by putting the combination that you put them together to get different results. So it's amazing. I'm involved in all of it, but, um, that was going to be my I, question. How, how involved are you? And you know, um, how many co different companies did you have to partner up with to make this product work? That's the thing is like, say like, for instance, when it comes to CBD, RVDCBD.com is the best place to get it. We can ship it and we do everywhere. Now, when it comes to like THC, that has to be grown and licensed in each state separately. It can't cross state lines. So I have to collaborate with uh, one partner in Oklahoma, uh, somebody different in California, someone different in Nevada. And then uh, when it comes to like uh, Delta 8 and Delta 10, which is uh, something else that uh, you'll see at gas stations and everywhere that's that's because where that's legal it's completely legal but some states uh still frown on that um just like kratom 
which I want to handle as well, because these are all like natural things that can help people so much and they need to know more about them. And unfortunately, um, I've read that up to uh, up to like 78 percent of the CBD product that's out there in the gas stations and everything um, is misleading in the fact that it doesn't have what the label says it has on it. So because of that, people have either been screwed over or they've gotten uh, no results when they tried it, or they just don't even want to try it because they don't know which one to try. So I'm happy to be able to say, look, if it's got my picture on it, I'm telling you, uh, I'm telling you, I stand behind this. My pain cream is the best. I sampled so many pain creams before we made this, and uh, and I sent it back to the lab several times to tweak it to get it right. That's how involved I am. Well, I know uh, here in New Jersey they finally passed. Uh, New yes. Jersey finally passed. So I and now, just in my area alone, there's about nine to ten different shops. <laughs> yeah, um, I I think there's in the whole state, I think there's only like um, 18 or 19 that actually handle recreational weed in New Jersey. Uh, I, I think I think that I think must be only three or 24 total when it was medicinal. And out of those, I think I was told only like 18 or 19 handle recreational. But anyway, yeah, there's going to be a big event uh, coming up that I might be a, a big part of um, called the uh, 420 expo and in, in new jersey and that is to uh you know to celebrate bring awareness and and to uh you know just exercise our rights as uh, as americans but it'll be a big uh um marijuana business related event i think it's in september i we'll do everything we can to help promote it because cool. you know we're definitely supportive of you uh last couple questions i had one question was sent um what was it like for you when you first saw yourself with like merchandise, like action figures and different types of, uh, you know, 7-Eleven cups and stuff like that, seeing your face on it. What was that like for you uh, and the feeling that you saw when you saw that? Yeah. Just, um, just as exciting as you would think probably, you know, like uh, um, it's, it, it's super cool. And then, and then after a while you, I don't want to say you come to expect it, but you almost feel entitled in a way to where you're offended when you're not chosen. You know, when it's like, uh, you know, my ego would be crushed when I would walk into work and, and, and notice like, how come I'm not on the trucks? You know what I mean? <laughs> I go through the airport um, for WrestleMania and all they have all these huge banners with all these wrestlers all over the place. Well, where's mine? And, and, and it's not just, it's an ego thing, but also that's part of the business. It's like, it's part, it literally is part of the business that you wouldn't even think of. You know, for instance, um, I did a few tours. One was in Africa, went all the way to Africa and they didn't send any RVD merchandise to sell. That affects my pockets like big time. You know what I mean? Every, so, so all these people that weren't even on the tour, Degeneration X, you got four different teats, t-shirts you can get with them on it they're making bank and they weren't even there and, and so there's things like that that are um that you you have to deal with so some people let's let some people will let it drive them crazy other people learn to not give a fuck um mm. or or you're somewhere in the middle where you say you know this really does matter but what am i going to do you pick and choose your, your battles First few times I saw myself on action figures or whatever, though, it was uh, super cool, and it still is.
Yeah. And uh, the last question for you, and then, I'm gonna, then we're going to let you plug. I'm absolutely. excited. I got a Funko Pop coming out, by the way. Oh, that's awesome. But my, my yeah. kids, my, my kids collect all the WWE Funko Pops. So that's, Sorry. that's awesome. Um, so my, like the last question for me, you know, we talked about the, uh, the resurrection of uh, ECW, the second ECW one night stand where you got to wrestle Cena in New York, dude, you have to admit that watching the ECW faithful, sort of regurgitate everything that John Cena was throwing at them, getting his t-shirt. Just yeah. take, take me through it from your, from your eyes. <laughs> your irreplaceable moment. You know, there's no other, no other night in my 30 plus year career could compete with the energy in that room. Just everything, all the stars were aligned as they say, you know, for a hundred percent support for me and everything I stood for that night and everybody wanted to see him and everything that he stood for go down. And he was great. The crowd was great. You know, the match was great. And um, that was amazing. Like the crowd, that crowd always entertains me. You know, that's, 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 <laughs> that's one of the secret ingredients of why ECW was so cool was that the crowd was half the show and uh, they definitely lived up to it during that match. Yeah, definitely. Rob, let's do some plugs. I definitely know you definitely want to talk about your YouTube channel. What's going on in the Rob, Rob Van Dam's YouTube channel right now? Yeah, so that's now the place to keep up uh, the most current with me. I'm doing videos uh, sometimes a few times a week, sometimes a week uh, when I do signings or matches or whatever. I'm having fun editing these videos. I used to do this a long time ago. I called it RVD TV. Um, still have some of the old episodes on, on my YouTube there. And I did it for this thing called Tweet Secret, um, which I still have all the footage. And I'll put that on the YouTube uh, sometime, but I'm waiting for the uh, numbers to grow. Um, uh, me and Godfather did a signing in uh, Illinois. So got the camera, you know, filming the whole thing, chop it up, make a really cool little short little episode. I, I have a lot of fun with it. And um, it's, like I said, it's a place to keep the most current. I just had a match June 12th in, um, in Japan for Noah. I'll be going back in a couple of weeks for uh, July 12th. So um, uh, there's uh, plenty of footage, uh, me in the ring and out of the ring in Japan that's on there. And and I do something called RVDology where I take time to, uh, to really um, un unfold a quality that, that I hold in high regard, such as honesty or could, bravery, uh, whatever. The, um, the next one I'm going to do is called expectations, but I have a lot of these over a dozen of these on, on there where um, I talk about um, a, a quality, why it's important. And then I tell stories, you know, where usually a story where I, where, where it's represented either. I, this is where I learned how important uh, loyalty is. You know, I talked about loyalty last time I talked about a story. I had a friend that was so loyal. He jumped in and got beat up when I was getting beat up by about like 15 people. And he knew he was going to get beat up, but you know, he was, he was, uh, he, there's no way he was not going to do it. Um, all these stories that are on there, no one has ever heard ever. They're all like, I enjoy telling them. And, uh, and, and again, the feedback, just like with my, uh, RVD CBD, the feedback is, is incredible. And, uh, it keeps me, keeps me going, especially with the RVDology because, uh, I'm, you know, uh, I don't want to say parenting, but th this, but it's here for, uh, it, f for lessons. It's, this is my, this is my take, uh, on, on life. 
one story I would love to hear you tell was helping train the ultimate warrior for his last match. That, yeah. That's, that's something that a lot of people, you it's know, don't, don't, that don't realize is that, you know, I, I followed uh, Jim through, you know, cause I was such a big fan growing up and I didn't realize until like a couple of years ago that you were the one who helped train him and get ready for that last match. So love to hear some stories about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. Yeah, I talk about other wrestlers, you know, stories on there. Me and uh, Road Warrior Hawk were, you know, we almost fought one time and talk about me and Tiny, Tiny Lister Jr. Nobody would expect, uh, nobody would expect any any of these stories. I talk about Scott Hall on there. And sometimes a lot of it's on me as a, as a kid or, or during my punk years where I was between 19 and mid-20s where I would walk around sticking my chest out looking for a fight, you know, and I learned a lot during those times. And I, and I hope a lot of people can learn from my experience so that they don't have to go through the same things. Yep. Guys, check out Rob Van Dam's YouTube channel. And all the real RVD, the real, real RVD, just like all my social media. Yeah, Check out real RVD for everything, including the YouTube channel. We'll be right back. Rob, hang on one second. Guys, we'll be right back here on the Cup of Wrestling Podcast. Okay, that was Rob Van Dam, the whole effing show here on the Cut for Wrestling podcast. Lots to unpack there. Send your feedback to our social media platforms. Let us know what you thought of the interview. It's all right here on the link tree address, which is right there on the screen. So check us out, of course, on Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio's Podcast Center. All of our archives are listed there. We've had some great guests over time. Go back and check out the archives. Uh, right now, our little announcement is starting in August. I'll give more information as I get it. But we're going to have some merchandise available for you guys at ProWrestlingTees.com. Stay tuned for that for more information. We're going to have uh, more in the upcoming weeks. Speaking of in the upcoming weeks, next week's episode, former WWE producer Ryan Katz, who currently is hosting Oh You Didn't Know with Road Dog Jesse James, on Conrad Thompson's podcast network. He's going to be joining us, and we're going to be breaking down how the inner workings of the WWE NXT system works. So stay tuned for that next week. The following week after that, check out two good buddies in Mike Law and AJ Pan. Both of them will be joining us right here on the Cut Pro Wrestling Podcast. The following week after that, uh, the We Are Wrestling lead announcer and owner, Pete Rosado, good friend of the shows. He's been on with us before. He's going to come back on and we're going to discuss with him. And then former and then current independent star, independent darling out in Canada, Amy Crimson. She was trained by Santino Morella. She'll be with us live the following week on August 12th. That's it for us. I can keep plugging all day if you want, but you know what? We'll see you next time here on the Cut for Wrestling Podcast. I'm Randy Zeller from BackSportsRadio.com. Thank you all very much, and we'll see you next time.